We'd like to thank our sponsor, NPR. For morning edition on the radio to NPR News Now and Smart Speakers, NPR is a part of people's daily lives. And so are the brands that sponsor its award-winning news and programming. Keep listening to hear how NPR sponsorship can help you build brand affinity. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Aditi Sangu. Youth culture around sports is helping Bleacher Report expand its coverage beyond sports, reach people who are not exactly a normal sports fan, and stay relevant beyond sports seasons. In this session from the Digiday Publishing Summit, Bleacher Report's Howard Mittman talks about this culture-first approach the publisher is taking. Listen in. I want to play for the Lakers, Daddy. That's my boy. <laughs> If you want the game, you need the culture. And nobody owns sports culture better than Bleacher Report. Nobody. Everything we do, the edge, the swag, the energy, the style. The culture is what connects and inspires. And then Sean Dean! Oh, how about that? It ignites superstars. You understand me? And fans alike. Best ever. Ever. 28-3. to three. <laughs> What's that? 28-3. to three. We capture what is now. Andrew lets it fly at the buzzer for the win. And amplify what is next. Here with my boy Todd Gurley. People will call you a traitor, a coward. I'm a peacock. You gotta let me fly. Lord, this is for the win. Possible. Sports fuels culture, and culture fuels sports. And there's only one place to celebrate that culture. This is Bleacher Report. All right, cool. Howard, thank you. Appreciate it. So I think the word culture was used like 15 times in that. Uh, explain that and the differentiation that, you know, focusing on culture. It feels like the Bleacher Report brand is about youth culture around sports, but it's, yeah. it's, it's culture first. Well, first, thanks for having me in the, the hangover slot. I totally appreciate it. No um, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, culture is a part of sports, right? I mean, I think look over the last two weeks, you know, what's, what's going on with Nike and, and Kaepernick and, and we, we try to stay out of the political fray, although I think admittedly it, it's difficult at times to do that, especially now. Um, but the way that we think about culture is we think inherently about like things like fashion, right? Um, the NBA is, is is probably the most significant driver of fashion and, and you know conversation around fashion and style of, of of anything, let alone any sports league. You know, I think I've said this to you before that 
the stadium tunnel is the new men's runway. Yeah. And so um, thinking about the way that what happens on the field and the athletes off the field, uh, how that reflects back out to popular culture, um, gives us additional storylines, helps us you know, focus and, and emphasize sports in the off season outside of the traditional linear TV model and schedule. It, um, it also gives us a chance to open up the aperture on who we can talk to and use sports as a vehicle to get there. You don't have to be an enormous sports fan who's winning his fantasy league or her fantasy league and you know watching every game live to care about what's happening in sports and how that reflects out. So we're trying to use our brand and the various sub-brands inside of it to do that and tell that story. I don't know if athletes got more interesting now or whether they were just allowed to be as interesting as they are. Yeah, it's, well, okay, so look at, look at the I NBA. I mean, athletes used to be really boring. Yeah. Well, they weren't boring. They just weren't allowed to be interesting, okay. right? So it, look at the NBA and the model that exists there. The NBA has the most perfect social model and structure outside of UEFA, right? Um, and so think about it this way. The traditional model for the way that brands activated uh, inside of a social environment or really anything that they did was this. Look at the NFL. You have the, it was the shield. It's all about the league. Then the team then the player, and then the fans. The fans have to show up because they love it and they have no choice. Um, if you look at the NBA now and what they've done, they've harnessed the power of social so that there's a direct connection between the player and the fan, and the NBA has allowed them to benefit from that. And so the individual players are, are making their mark, they're building their own brands, they're um, telling stories, they're, they're making the off-season more interesting. You, you don't unfollow LeBron because the season's over. You care about what wine he drinks, you care about yeah. you know, his kids. I mean, we post a video of Bronny, his 13-year-old son yeah. dunking, and it does better than some videos of him dunking, right? So um, when, you, when you think about it through that lens, we, we call it owning the off-season and giving advertisers a chance to connect with like, the deep passion that users have for these sports yeah. when the linear TV model has sort of expired. It's yeah. not just about like opening tip off to the handing out of the trophies. It's about a full 360, mm -hmm. 365 day year connection right. to those athletes. And that's actually the roots of Bleacher, I remember. You know, I mean, yeah. back when, I mean, it started really, it was heavy in SEO, but it was, it was seeing that the interest does not die. If you're a diehard Eagles yep. fan, say, uh, you're still- <laughs> Just to pick a random <laughs> you're, team. You're yeah. still very interested in the off season. I yeah. think you know, Bleacher discovered that. A absolutely, and I, I think you know, identifying the, those pockets of interest for fans is key, and being able to tell those stories. Um, the variety of different distribution mechanisms that we all have access to now allows us to do yeah. that. And the way that we think about social is, um, Sometimes we're creating content for social, right? We're not just taking content elsewhere and putting it up, but we're also then, we've created this layer of like competition. So our programming team really sits across, horizontally across the entire organization and picks and pulls the best pieces of content up and out. So in addition to making their own content, they're trying to figure out which content can compete inside of that social sphere. So not only are we creating content for social, we're creating content like for Sims and Lefko, which is an NFL show that we launched. Um, that's, that's doing really well for us. We're thinking about inside of those segments, what's gonna play well for social. So the thought of like just pulling things into social doesn't exist at Bleacher. It's the idea to create specifically for social because that's where we're probably gonna get the greatest bang for our buck. Yeah. So the, the title of this is How to Diversify and you talk about social. And for the last several years when people said social, they really meant Facebook. Or when they talked about yeah. platforms, they meant Facebook. Yep. I would imagine Facebook was gigantic for you. How much of a hit did you take? None, none. Uh, it wasn't gigantic. Um, we, 
Right now, about 8% of our uh, traffic flows through Facebook. Um, we have either been lucky or intentionally smart at, at not avoiding that ecosystem, but not getting too deep into it. We, we saw early on that it wasn't um, prioritizing content like ours, and it, it, you know we were competing with things that we didn't think we needed to be competing with. Um, you know, I, I call it need versus feed. This idea that you know I think sports is a need. I think the content we create is a need. There's a deep-rooted passion that consumers have. It's found. It's you know you're, you're really actively seeking it out versus just stumbling upon a 60-second brownie recipe. So I think, um, to, to use an example that I watch, by the way, but I don't look for. So um, Facebook's not it, not it for us. What we're focused on most, and when you're talking about diversifying, is our app. Our app is 40% of our traffic and revenue. Um, we have to own the connection to the consumer, and through that app and the you know 19 million total downloads and the nine and a half million active users, I have a ton of data, I have a ton of access, I have a ton of understanding about what consumers are thinking, feeling, doing. And so when it comes to diversification, for us, it's about owning that connection to the consumer versus being overly reliant on additional you know distribution mechanisms for our eyeballs. Yeah. How about Instagram? I mean, you guys acquired uh, House of Highlights and yep. it blew up. Um, uh, it's uh, how big is it now? Like 10 million? Yeah, followers? almost almost 11 million. Yeah, I, I mean, just the, the you know, you go like post a video on there and all of a sudden it's at like a million views in like a yeah. few hours. Um, but that's just about all Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you diversify that? So we're doing a few things. We've launched a YouTube channel that's going quite successfully. We've created uh, collaborations with um, content contributors, other uh, what we would call like you know under the radar influencers who are who are making great relevant content, and we're uh, we've signed them on to make individual shows. So we're actually now just not aggregating content, but making content, creating for it that we're pushing out across both those streams. We're launching a Twitter show, a live Twitter show this fall. Um, that proves to be really exciting. You'll see A-list celebrities and athletes coming on that to sort of sit down with Omar, who's the 24-year-old wonderkin founder of, of House of Highlights. He's, you know, we all have Instagram accounts. He's just way better at it than you are. You know, it's like anything else. <laughs> like we took my family surfing for the first time six years ago, and my, you know, oldest son was just awesome from day one, and I still can barely ride an 11-foot board <laughs> on whitewater. So. Um, you know, he's just really good at it. So, so he's going to have a talk show, basically. Essentially, yeah. He's the new Conan. Um, <laughs> so, uh, who is now, I guess, only going digital, yeah. apparently, right? So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're really excited about that and, and building that out yeah. into a brand. So is that a model then for, um, I mean, I don't want to say you guys stumbled upon it, but I'm not sure if, if you knew it was going to become as big as it was going to be. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with, I mean, you've got the Bleacher Report brand, you've got VR Football, you've got House of Highlights. Are you looking at having like a lot of vertical brands? I, th I think we will continue to have more. I like the idea and the sensibility of Bleacher Report being a, uh, a halo brand, an umbrella brand that um, serves as a line of connectivity between a variety of passion points all inside sports and sports culture. Um, it's hard because I don't think you'll, you know, we have 100% hit rate. We bought House of Highlights and it became yeah. <laughs> the hottest sports media brand in, probably in the world right now from a growth perspective. Um, so. We have to have 100% hit rate, so I think that's what some of like this rent before you own content creation deals are about, uh, and that's where we'll continue to go. I think there's also verticalization that we could conceive of. Uh, look at BR Football. So we launched a 40-person team, 45-person team that we have in London that um, helped us. 
collect and gather all the data that led to us and Turner buying the rights to UEFA uh, World Football uh, for $75 million a year for the next three years. And um, that became a really interesting model for us so that we have a, a really tight focused team that covers that. Uh, House of Highlights does what it does. We have BR Kicks, which is our streetwear and footwear brand. Uh, and so I think you'll probably see more of those happening at the same time as we're sort of doing mm -hmm. what we do with a, probably a heavier emphasis on video. We'll be back after this quick break. NPR reaches over 100 million people's lives each month and counting. Beyond being part of their media routine, NPR informs people's understanding of the world and their opinion of brands that support its work. 68% of NPR's listeners prefer to buy products or services from NPR sponsors. Learn more about sponsorship opportunities across NPR platform and why they're so effective by visiting npr.org slash for brands. Now, back to the episode. Do you think you'll push out a pure sports? I mean, VR Kicks is not really sports. A pure sports. We, we debate it. You know, the problem we have with that is, like, I'm 45. You know, we're about the same age, yeah. right? Um, that's what we like. That's not what our kids respond to. So. Um, <laughs> We're, we're creating content for a much younger demo than you and I. You know, yeah. like I, I love long form. You know, that's one of my favorite things. But you will never, ever, ever see us get into a long form subscription business. That, that yeah. doesn't work. That doesn't scale. That's not. So let's talk about diversifying because, I mean, your business has to be just about all advertising. And these days, everyone is trying to diversify from advertising. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a big chunk advertising. We're doing a lot of licensing, so we have a lot of like interesting licensing deals. We had in that, you know, high octane, super loud video you saw. There was the um, Marshawn Lynch show we did with Facebook. Uh, endeavors like that are really quite profitable. Are you doing a second season of that? Uh, Marshawn is. We wish him well. Yeah. <laughs> so difficult talent. We just he's. It was a great show. We wish him really well. Um, so. You'll see. You'll continue to see more of that. I think the content licensing presents, you know, in in a world where Netflix and now you know HBO and uh, you know everyone else is is competing and fighting for content. I think we have an interesting opportunity to, to make yeah. more money there. And then we're doing things like commerce, um, but you won't see like us trying to leverage and sort of borrow uh, IP from other you know, sports leagues. Um, you'll see us doing things like we did a, a soccer, around the World Cup, we did a soccer series of soccer jerseys inspired by, we did a partnership with Vince Staples and The Roots and 21 Savage and a bunch of other hip hop artists celebrating what soccer meant to their home cities. And then we package that and sell it out. So I think when we but do commerce. Like more of a brand play almost. We then. made some pretty good money. Yeah. Uh, it was, yeah, we sold uh, 10,000 shirts in like less than a day. So at $80 a pop. So um, there, was, there was a really nice margin there. I don't think that they'll all be that successful, but I think if we go further up the ecosystem and think about this connection that streetwear uh, and fashion have together back to sports right now, I think there are ways that we can arbitrage that. Okay, um, but advertising is still a very good business for you. It, it's the business, yeah. Are you making your numbers this year? Yeah, we're, uh, <laughs> yeah, we were, it's a good year. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah, we were up. Because, oh, I mean, a lot of people are struggling. We were up 44% in the first half of the year. Um, we're still working on the back half of the year, but things are, uh, we were up, you know, really solidly, uh, you know, not quite 44%, but almost in Q3 
Um, Q4 is, like I think most media businesses, like if you miss Q4, you miss the year. So it, it's, uh, media is like basketball, you know? It's all back and forth, up and down the court until the fourth quarter when it really matters. So um, we're working on that. But yeah, it's been a, a very good year of growth. So how are you looking at OTT platforms? Any opportunities yeah. there? Um, really closely, and you know, we launched BR Live. That's a really big initiative for us. Um, we, we felt it really important that when we launched BR Live, that Explain we have a, BR Live yep. a bit. BR Live is a discrete app that you can download that is a true uh, over-the-top, over-the-top just meaning obviously digital, which I don't know why the TV guys can't just say digital, but they have to feel like they're the top and somebody's going over them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but we launched this OTT uh, app that is truly OTT, meaning you do not need a cable subscription at all to watch the games you like. So we've crafted partnerships with the NBA, you don't need League Pass, you can go in and you can watch those games, pay-per-view, $2.99, $3.99 a game. Uh, given our alerts and the power of our alerts right now, you know, we have nine and a half million active users and our alerts serve out, I think on average, 58 seconds faster than ESPN. So um, that gives us a chance to push out an alert, say the fourth quarter's starting and you didn't get the game, but you get an alert and you're a Hoops fan and it's like LA's playing you know, Golden State, it's tied 82-82 going into the fourth. Tune in now, watch the fourth quarter for $1.99. You might very well do that, even if not, you're not a huge fan or you wouldn't invest in the whole game. Layer in then gambling on top of that, mm -hmm. where you can push the spread through and say, oh, by the way, Cleveland, or Cleveland LA is you know, minus, uh, minus three. That starts to get more compelling to drive viewership and to also other ancillary opportunities. We have a similar partnership I mentioned earlier with UEFA, and then a whole ecosystem of like smaller long tail sporting leagues, World Surf League, National Lacrosse League, Arm Wrestling League, there's like mm -hmm. 25 or 30 of them. Uh, and we feel like live sports is always going to matter. The, the differentiation is gonna be like convenience for the consumer. You have yeah. to, you, you can't hold them hostage in front of a set top box. So you mentioned betting. Uh, the legalization of betting must yeah. be a giant opportunity. Are we gonna have a BR book? No, definitely not. Um, <laughs> We're a news and information source. We create and drive community, um, but you won't walk into the BR casino and you know see me standing there with a bunch of chips <laughs> at the cage. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll but continue. You can take bets. I mean, there is like you know. You, you... We we won't. What we'll do is we'll, I think I'd rather be a. a a forum for information and content, whether a mix of curation and original content so that we can present consumers with the information and then they can go out and make the decisions. We will have strategic partnerships with- Yeah, you'll just pass you know, them on. A variety of, right, yeah. And most of the way they pass them on is, is through the free product anyway. If you look at what happened in the UK, it's they advertise the free product and then they, you know, when, once you're on their site, they push you towards the mm -hmm. paid product. Um, so I think uh, we'll, we'll be that, but I, I have no desire to yeah. be a book. It's actually come up a couple times here with, uh, speaking of legalization. Do you take cannabis ads? We do not. Why not? Because there's no free option. Like your first hit's free, I suppose, but you know, there's, no, <laughs> there's, there's no way to sort of get around that. Okay. Yeah. Um, are, are you game to do a little uh, word association? Yo, like a Rorschach test? Yeah. <laughs> you ready? Okay. Okay. Barstool Sports. Interesting. <laughs> what does interesting mean? You said word. You didn't say words. <laughs> that was a weasel one. The Athletic. Hmm. Risky. Why? Um, I 
long, I love long form content. I spent the bulk of my career building it, packaging it, trying to get things to support it, loving it. Really, I, I, I crave it. Um, I'm 45. I don't know that there's enough people under that age who are really going to invest in a subscription model. I think um, that's a challenge, and I think uh, the rate at with which they're spending, it's, it seems built for acquisition, and I wonder who will be the acquirer relative to what I would imagine the yeah. age demos are and the um, kinds of content they create. Yeah. I like it as a fan. Um, I, I think it's great. I just, uh, it's not a business yeah. I want to be in. I'm interested in what their customer acquisition costs are. They do a lot very, of advertising. Very They're high. like a DTC brand in some way. Which is where I don't, I don't see how the math works. And yeah. I, I just, like I said, I spent 25 years in that business and I got out of it. I know the math. I know it really well. I don't see how it works. Okay, the future of Instagram. Evolving, right? You know, Kevin leaving, um, I think, They've done an incredible job of um, protecting Instagram, right? Keeping it free, keeping it interesting, keeping it um, light and airy uh, and unobtrusive. Uh, I think most of the product introductions they've have have been, uh, if not successful, worthy experiments and, and haven't taken away from the consumer joy. Um, I think we'll see now with that leadership team changing what you know, what Facebook's direction and vision for it is and what that means relative to what they have to do as an organization that, you know, has to appease Wall Street. Okay, so that means they're gonna screw it up. That's not, that's your word. That's, <laughs> that is an interesting take, Brian. That was, that was my takeaway. Yeah. Uh, the ad tech ecosystem. Wow, I wish I owned a yacht rental company. <laughs> you guys just really love to be on boats. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Thank you, Howard. Cool. Appreciate Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Yeah. All right. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. You can also tweet at me. I'm Aditi Sangal. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another episode.